First Coast Connect with Melissa Ross is sponsored in part by Baptist Health. Can a bold infrastructure plan move Florida forward? Good morning. We're live with you from Studio 2. I'm Melissa Ross, and this is First Coast Connect. Thanks for listening. Just ahead, a closer look at the big outlay the state wants to spend on shoring up our roads, bridges, and more. Give us a call. It's 549-2937. Then later, WJCT is partnering up with the Florida Theater for Untold Stories. The podcast will tell you about it. That and more ahead. But first this hour, it's called the Moving Florida Forward Plan. Now, what the state wants to do is invest $4 billion from a surplus in the state's general fund. And then over the next four years, Florida would also direct more than $130 million each year to Florida's state transportation work program. They want to leverage the funds to add an estimated $3 billion more to expedite dozens of infrastructure projects around the state. So this morning, we're taking a closer look at efforts to shore up Florida's infrastructure and Jacksonville's too as we welcome Buckley Williams, Executive Vice President of Public Infrastructure at England, Timms & Miller. Good morning. Good morning, Melissa. How are you doing? I'm good. Good to see you. And also with us in studio, Bill Delaney of the Jackson, where they cover these issues quite a bit. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, folks, we're talking about roads, bridges, and infrastructure in our area and statewide. What are your thoughts and questions about the moving forward, or excuse me, the moving Florida forward plan? Billions to be spent on this. It's needed. Give us a call. It's 549-2937. Emails to firstcoastconnect at wjct.org. Tweets to at Melissa Injax. Well, Buckley, let's begin with you. Improving our infrastructure is seen as critical to Jacksonville's growth, particularly since so many new people are moving here, right? That is very true. So I think we were all sensing that out there on the roadways, right, in the shopping mart, um, grocery stores is uh, Florida is the place where people want to be. Um, so you look at various you know, studies and uh, about what that growth is going to look like, about 20% growth between you now and the next uh, 10 years, uh, probably about 300,000 more people coming to Jacksonville. 300,000 in the next 10 years. By, by 2030. Yeah. So where are we going to put those people? How are we going to deal with moving people, goods, um, and doing that safely? And that's mm-hmm. going to take an in, in investment in the infrastructure. And our infrastructure is aging, isn't it? It, it is. Anyone can see that. It is. And um, it's like, uh, unlike fine wine, infrastructure does not get better <laughs> yeah, with age. That's you know, right. That's, that's kind of what we hear in More our, like our, sour milk. <laughs> in our industry. So, um, and you have, and the challenge is, is getting proactive with it, you know. So, um, some of that is is doing so in, in growth areas uh, to handle the people coming. But some of that is in infill areas. So it is across the board a challenge in, in being proactive in funding and obviously getting projects shovel ready so they can be met for the demand. And so the legislature is looking at this and is teeing things up to most likely spend billions of dollars on infrastructure in Florida. It's called the Moving Florida Forward Plan. Tell us about this plan. Well, I'm actually very bullish on what the DOT is doing in the state of Florida. Um, you know, taking advantage of what is a surplus in the general fund um, and certainly in the state um, coffers. Um, you know, infrastructure and transportation and the trust fund that supports that always kind of lives in, in tension with other state needs, you know, from health care, education. But now is an opportunity to invest. Um, we're, we have 105 million visitors coming to the state of Florida. Um, we're expecting growth over the next 10 years to be concentrated into just about 10 counties. That's what the DOT is saying. Mm-hmm. And eight of those 10 counties are in central and north Florida. Mm. You know, so, um, so what they're doing is being able to take $4 billion out of the general fund, actually add another $3 billion in different financing options to really accelerate projects. Now, most of those initial projects are in central and in other parts of the state. But what that's doing is really shoring up the existing work program. And really Northeast Florida has done a good job of having projects ready and and really see just a ton of work coming up in the near future. We'll go to your calls in a moment. We're talking infrastructure on the show today. The state wants to spend billions on a plan called Moving Florida Forward. Give us a call, 549-2937. 
Bill Delaney of the Jackson Mag, our partners, where you write a lot about urban planning and issues like this. Let's bring the discussion down to Jacksonville. What are the biggest infrastructure needs in this city that you see? So it really, it, it all, it, looking at it holistically, it's, there's a lot that you really need to do. I mean, roads is a huge uh, part of that because your other needs, you know, building, you know, enough housing. If you don't have uh, the infrastructure underpinning that, then, you know, the the housing challenges that we're facing aren't going to improve. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's not just a matter of traffic. It's a matter of being able to plan smartly so that uh, we have the things that we need to move the city forward. Right. You know, any anyone who's driven around lately has seen new apartment buildings going up right and left. Of course, the big criticism is not a lot of them are affordable, but new housing is being built and is the infrastructure keeping pace to accommodate all of these new people? Roads, bridges, uh, uh, sewage, um, other amenities. Infrastructure is more than roads and bridges. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, you know, it's all it, it's all connected, you know. The reason that we're in a housing crisis is the supply of housing is greatly lower than the demand that we have. You know, people are moving here, you know, whether we like it or not. And if we don't build enough housing for everyone, then the prices are just going to rise. You know, infrastructure is one of those things. If you don't pay for it up front, you pay for it in other ways later on. To that end, I don't know if people noticed, but just the other day there was an accident on the Buckman Bridge where a driver went right over the low guardrails of that bridge into the St. John's River. And it was reported that to raise those guardrails to make that bridge safer would cost millions of dollars. That would be an expensive infrastructure project, but it would probably protect more motorists crossing that bridge. Yeah, and that's the challenge with the infrastructure as it ages. You know, you have to continue maintaining it and you know, keeping it ready for every generation that wants to use it, not just the people who were there when the thing was planned in the first place. Not, not only that, let me ask you about this. Uh, the city council in Jacksonville just voted to spend $900,000 to build a pump station in San Marco. They say it's crucial to preventing flooding in that low-lying neighborhood. San Marco is notorious for flooding during storms. This pump station would pump the water back into the St. John's River. Good news for people in San Marco. But, of course, it's not the only neighborhood that needs that kind of infrastructure investment. Yeah, that's that's one of those things that's only going to continue being more and more important is dealing with this, uh, res- you know, these resiliency issues. And San Marco is an area that, that always floods, but of course there's others. So when you're trying to plan out where you're going to invest infrastructure, you need to make sure that it's being done equitably and as comprehensively as you can, because there are other parts of town that have exactly the same issues. Uh, The solutions may vary. It may be pump stations in some places. It may honestly be buying houses and demolishing them to, you know, create a, you know, a, a wetlands to restore wetlands in some other areas. What are your thoughts about that, Buckley? How does your firm look at those issues? Well, they, they are real issues. So I think the challenge is, you know, you can't tackle them all at once. So going through a very methodical process, um, seeing where the, best, the, the biggest needs are first uh, and, and trying to tackle that. You know, that. That pump station, for example, has been in the works for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot to get secure the, the, the plans, the property. Um, the permits to do that work. So, um, so I applaud that those kind of projects are moving forward. Uh, but there's no doubt that there's greater need needed um, in other areas. And as we look to options, those are Bill very good examples of other options. Um, uh, we have to use more tools in our toolbox, not just put a pump station out there everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, we know that those investments are continuing to be made. And so it's not just at the state level that we've seen those investments. Obviously, the city of Jacksonville is made a, you know, an investment with our local option gas tax. Um, obviously, you know, we see Clay County, what they're doing with the bonded transportation program. Uh, we know St. John's County and other areas are looking at what they can do to, to serve their needs. So mm-hmm. uh, at all levels of government, that they're really being looked at um, in, in a very, very smart and sincere way. Let's go to your calls. We're talking infrastructure on the show today, roads, bridges, and a lot more as Florida prepares to splash out billions of dollars to shore up aging infrastructure 
with its Moving Florida Forward plan. Our guests, Buckley Williams of England, Thames and Miller and Bill Delaney of the Jacksons. What are your thoughts? Give us a call. It's 549-2937. Mark in St. Augustine. Hi, Mark. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, not to sound like a broken record, but if we, uh, you know, we're going for this, uh, Shad Khan wants a brand new stadium and it's going to cost us a billion dollars. Uh, worst case scenario that we have to fund that with, uh, you know, increasing taxes and bond hearing, you know, raising bonds and bake sales and everything else. Will that do anything? <laughs> that, that'd be a really good bake sale. <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. Really? Would, does that, would that affect the, debt, the level of debt that our city would have? Would that affect the uh, infrastructure projects that the state is going to provide? Yeah. Thanks for that question. You know, Bill Delaney, Jackson Mag, just the other day a poll came out from UNF saying, Duval Countyans, they don't want their tax dollars going toward stadium improvements. So let's put that out there first. What about his question? Well, so people in that poll said they didn't want to fund the stadium improvements, but they also said uh, overwhelmingly that they want to keep the Jaguars. So sometimes it's just a matter of finding how you do, uh, how you can walk and chew gum at the same time. Mm -hmm. Now, that is going to be a major project, but it is something the city owns now you know we're we're already we're already in the the business of football so you know in for a penny in for a pound i mean the the, the trick is going to be making sure that we can still fund all of our needs uh and not just essentially you know blow the bank down at the bank i think that's a valid question how do we pay for the things like hundreds of millions in stadium improvements and also these critical infrastructure problems well that's what's uh, i think very good about what the city has done like for example the gas taxes that those funds are dedicated to those transportation and infrastructure needs so they're protected that way so it's not mm-hmm. like you're raising taxes and then all of a sudden they're being you know diverted somewhere else um so so that's very good news for for the citizens of jacksonville in the stadium obviously you know we're all in on the jaguars um to, to bill's point and um having that in, in this community is, is a big lift. Um, it's a tremendous asset for the city. And I think it's the challenge is to see what uh, what partners can be brought to the table, including the Jaguars, including the NFL, and, and how the, how to get that done. 549-2937. Diane in Ponte Vedra Beach. Good morning, Diane. Go ahead. Good morning. Uh, part of my question may have been answered when I was delivering my question to the uh, person who took the phone call. But nonetheless, I would like to be sure that as we consider roads and bridges and houses, that we don't forget the importance of things like art museums and the fact that our river floods the beautiful Kummer Museum and gardens, and more importantly, and additionally, we have a treasure of art that we have to protect for our future generations. And there must be a way to be able to either build retaining walls or some kind of a structure in addition to the tiger dam that was used to protect our historic gardens and our historic art. Thank you. Thank you. And these types of concerns are only going to become more urgent over time, Bill. Yeah, they are. Yeah, it's just one of those things that's not going away. It never will. We have to learn to adapt now. And, you know, talking about you know, art museums and these things, it is like football. It's a quality of life investment. And that's very important to people. You know, the city isn't going to just be Sparta, where we just have roads and just have bridges and nothing else. No, people want to live in a city. They come here because they like the quality of life. And so we've got to continue investing in that. Mark in Mayport. Hi, Mark. Hey, Melissa. How are you today? Doing well, thanks. Thanks for calling. Go ahead with your thoughts. Yeah, I just I called this show about eight or nine years ago. You had a Florida Department of Transportation guy on, uh-huh. and I just asked him why we 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 connected the beautiful Dames Point Bridge, beautiful six lane bridge, award winning bridge, with four lanes. And his answer was because that's all we could afford at the time. And I'm like, if you know, so now we got to bring all the equipment back. We got to widen the road again. I mean, it seems like we need to plan for expansion the first time. I mean, it's like penny-wise and dollar-foolish. Yeah, that's like a lot of things, isn't it? Thank you for that, Mark. What about that, Buckley? When you plan these big projects, 
and you know that we're having such an influx of population, can you plan for future growth better? Can we do that better? We, we can do it better. We can plan better. Um, but it does come back to the funding, you know. So there's one example of do you, inter, do you, you build the interstate that's full capacity a mile at a time? Or do you go through there and be efficient with, you know, widening the bridges in advance and then bringing the lanes in advance? Obviously, the Dames Point uh, is iconic to the to the region. Um, it's it's a beautiful bridge you know, built back in the you know, 80s and 90s, and uh, at the time, it even had to get exemptions from Federal Highway to be built the way it is now. Mm. Um, sadly, you know, if you look south of the of, of of that bridge, it winds through a lot of communities, and at the time when that road was being planned there were many homes taken i think they were trying to minimize and get through the initial interstate at the time um but obviously as as the region grows um that's gonna have to be looked at again so Mm. understandable christine in rolling hills hello christine hi yes um yeah it's Kristen. but yeah my question was more um when we talk about funding and things like that um how do we plan to fund these projects and bring these investments to town without necessarily raising the price on the everyday consumers of the areas now. Like with parking, I know in like Atlanta and Tampa, you really can't go downtown if you don't pay to park. Here we are allowed to pay to, like we are allowed to go downtown without paying to park on the weekends and certain times. So how do we keep those amenities free to like locals while still bringing in the funding necessary to facilitate these projects? Yeah, that's a good question. I would guess the answer is eventually it's not going to be free. Eventually, with more growth, we will become like these other cities. Bill? Yeah, exactly. One reason that it's free to park downtown on the weekends is there's... There's nobody there. There's comparatively (laughs) few people that are going there and parking. Yeah. Uh, But it's, you know, it's in the longer term, yeah, it's a matter of like looking at what different pots of money. You You know, gas tax is a great example of one that you know, when you pay at the pump, you know, you pay additional money. So it's the people that are using the infrastructure that are reinvesting back into it. And, you know, it's, you look at Florida's famous uh, sales tax. You know, we have that because we have so many visitors come down here. And so why not push some of the cost onto the people who are coming down here and using the infrastructure, but don't necessarily have property here Mm -hmm. to, to pay back into it. Five four nine two nine three seven. Lots of calls. You wouldn't think infrastructure is a sexy topic, but it actually is. People always want to comment on this. John in Arlington. Hi, John. Hey, good morning, Melissa. Uh, I, uh, you know, Duval County, uh, between the beaches and the river and the tributaries, has over a thousand miles of shoreline. Um, I'd like to ask your experts uh, what the um, what the uh, future with uh, climate change and sea level rise and stronger hurricanes and more storm surge, how that factors into this question of planning for Jacksonville's infrastructure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me make a quick plug for our magazine that looks at those issues. It's adaptflorida.org. That's WJCT's digital magazine on this topic, adaptflorida.org. But Buckley, you know, I I recently read an article, I believe it was the New York Times, that showed that Jacksonville has the most coastline in America of any city between our oceans, our rivers, our river and our tributaries, more than a thousand miles or some crazy number that would need to be seawalled or that would need that would need protection. So we're at the top of the list. Isn't that incredible? And and how are we planning for this? Well, it's first recognizing that the river and its tributaries is the region's greatest asset. You know, people, it, 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 it interwinds through our communities. It, it, it's an attraction for visitors. Um, it's a sense of pleasure, a sense of travel for some. Um, so you know, resiliency is here to stay. Uh, sea rise is an issue that no one's um, no one's arguing about. Um, I know the city certainly has just you know kind of staffed the chief resiliency officer position mm-hmm. with and and you know so but not no one's got a lot of practice at this. So um, so looking one you know one section at a time as as development takes place is, is a way to 
to not ignore what needs to be done, but I think there's a lot of people that have to get brought up to speed on how to tackle sea rise and those issues. You've been writing about this, Bill. Jacksonville has a lot of catching up to do as a major Florida city, uh, when it, although we've come some ways now when it comes to planning on these resiliency issues. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, but on the flip side, that just means that other cities have made you know have had started in on this in ways that we haven't yet you know the stuff that we do it it can be done you know we've made huge investments in our infrastructure before we could do it again it's a matter of having the right leadership in place it's a matter of having vision and follow through your own father (laughs) former mayor john delaney pushed through the better jacksonville plan that was a big infrastructure project yeah that was especially for the time it was uh a massive investment, and that's part of the reason why Jacksonville's you know, traffic situation and a lot of our infrastructure needs are uh, as are, are in the, the the good state that they're in now is because we made those investments in the past. The thing is, how do we continue to build on the successes that we've had, and how do we stop doing the things that aren't working? Yeah, and and we're really you know um, people forget about that. Uh, a lot of people move to this area, mm-hmm. and. Yes, we have traffic problems, but really we don't have traffic problems. And compared think, to some compared places. Compared to some places. So uh, obviously with, with uh, Mayor Delaney's uh, vision way back in the day, you know, in comparison, they were thinking of uh, what was Orlando going to do at the time, and they were looking at a double-decker. And so we really got out a, in advance of, of what the needs were, but it, it never stops. Here's a tweet from a listener. Are state and federal projects required to have a minimum percentage of local small business contractors involved? That gets to not only Florida's moving Florida forward plan, but also the Federal Infrastructure Act, the, the, the federal legislation that's going to be pumping infrastructure dollars here. What about that? Yeah, so the, you know, the Infrastructure Act that was, was passed, I mean, it's still trying to get money to the states, and it's coming. Uh, certainly the billions being invested is you know, really rolled out two different ways. One is formulaic based on you know, the size of the state and others is certainly discretionary. So um, it will be interesting to see as those funds roll to the state of Florida, how much of it is actually being absorbed by the recent increase in costs of labor materials Mm. because projects, quite honestly, just cost more these days. Mm. Um, So the DOT is looking at that. The state's looking at that very hard and certainly trying to push projects forward uh, where they can. Jeff in Clay County. Thanks for holding. Jeff, what are your thoughts? Um. I have quite a bit of experience in construction, and did the state of Florida learn anything from rebuilding the Sanibel Causeway in such a record amount of time to kind of speed up these uh, infrastructure projects? I mean, that was a two-year project that basically took months. I am not as familiar with that as you obviously are, Jeff, but thanks for the question. Um, Can we learn from past mistakes or past projects? That's obviously... Yeah, a good point. Yeah, I think those pro- there are lessons to be learned there, and it's it's not just how you um, plan for a project, but actually how you get it to market, how you contract with industry, and I think as things uh, as projects are advanced, like the Moving Florida initiative, mm-hmm. um, there are ways of bringing those projects quicker to the market so they can get done in a timelier manner. And I think those every project like that, Sanibel, obviously uh, builds upon a case for using all the tools in the toolbox. What are your final thoughts? Bill Delaney. Yeah, I think that that's exactly it. I mean, I think you, we have to understand that we're going to have to make these investments. We're going to have to continue making these investments. And if we want to have the quality of life that everyone in the city wants, it's going to cost money. It's going to take some vision and it's going to take a follow through and using every tool in the toolbox. Well, thank you both. Buckley Williams, England Timms and Miller, and Bill Delaney at the Jackson. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you. And much more coming up later in the hour. WJCT partners up with the Florida Theater for Untold Stories, a new podcast. But up next, how you can help earthquake victims in Turkey and Syria with a special and tasty event in town this weekend. We'll be right back.
Well, the death toll in Turkey from last month's devastating earthquake has risen to above 45,000, according to their disaster authority. That brings the total toll of people lost, including in Syria, to about 51,000. The earthquake and subsequent powerful tremors injured more than 108,000 people in Turkey and left millions more sheltering in tents or seeking to move. Now, if you've been looking for a local way to help those impacted by the tragedy in Turkey, you're in luck. That's because the Turkish Food Festival is coming up this Saturday here in town, and all proceeds from the event will go to help the earthquake victims. We have two volunteers in studio now to tell us more, Aliyah Karakoyim and Bengisu Bektas, both of whom are involved with the Turkish Food Festival. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having us. It's good to have you. Aliyah, let's start with you. Uh, people that have seen the news accounts of this earthquake are horrified. It's just an incredible tragedy. Yeah, thank you so much for, um, you know, giving us a voice here. Uh, it's definitely impacted a whole country. Um, the massive earthquake happened in the southeast region of Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'll say that the whole country is mourning. Mm-hmm. The whole country, there's collective grieving going on currently. And there's a community here in town, uh, mm-hmm. a, a really vibrant one with ties to that part of the world. Yes. Yeah. Can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, we do have a big Turkish community here. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been uh, family members of the people in our Turkish community who have directly been impacted um, by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have actually have a friend who uh, lost uh, her brother and um, his whole family to this uh, tragic earthquake. So um, it's been devastating for all of us um, from, you know, overseas. We're, we're watching the news and um, feeling hurt and sure. devastation. So you decided to do something. Uh, volunteers with the Istanbul Center have organized this event. Thank you. So tell us about what's going to be happening. This sounds really good. The Turkish Food Festival. Right off the bat, I'm like, yes, that sounds really good. <laughs> yes. So, so far, our community has been collecting money to help the people in Turkey affected by the earthquake. However, we realize that our resources are limited. So as a community, we decided to host this cultural food festival mm-hmm. to help collect more money and donations to send to our people over in Turkey. Mm-hmm. And this festival is on March 4th from 11 to 5 p.m. at Istanbul Center. Mm-hmm. And it will be a family-friendly, act- it will have a lot of family-friendly activities like bouncy house and face painting for kids. We will also, like you said, be having a bunch of delicious foods such as chicken shish kebab, stuffed grape leaves, Baklava, Turkish coffee. Oh, yeah. Bring it all on. <laughs> I know. Gözleme. <laughs> and our gözleme was actually very popular at World of Nations. And What's that? I haven't heard of that one. Right. So it's a homemade flatbread okay. with fillings. So we have meat fillings, potato fillings. And um, so if you missed it back at World of Nations, this is your chance to try it. Nice. Now, this is free admission and parking, family-friendly. Homemade, fresh, and healthy Turkish food. What could be better? This sounds great. It really is. Yeah. Uh, So all people have to do is show up and start eating. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Now, this is at the Istanbul Center, which is at 2032 Southside Boulevard. Tell us about the work of the Istanbul Center. Well, uh, the Istanbul Center, um, their main goal is to actually just bring the community together uh, first of all, the Turkish community, but also open up the Turkish community to the Jacksonville, the greater Jacksonville community. Um, we have a lot of events that go on um, to, um, you know, engage the community in different events and different volunteer events. We do have different food festivals that go on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's just a great way to come together. You also promote the preservation of the Turkish language, too. That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize that. <laughs> and uh, and this is also, let's let's not neglect uh, people in the community with ties to Syria. Uh, that mm-hmm. country also has been affected. And there were a lot of Syrian-Americans in Jacksonville, too, mm-hmm. is my understanding. So, yes. yeah. yeah okay. So what else do people need to know to support the Turkish Food Festival? So... Like I said, you can just come and contribute by getting the food and having fun. Um, We will also have um, 
a donation box there where you can donate through cash or card payment if you would like to do that. Yeah, everybody, come on out. It's going to be a beautiful weekend, and this is a free and delicious event to support earthquake relief in Turkey and Syria where millions of people have been affected by the tragedy. It's the Turkish Food Festival this Saturday, March 4th at the Istanbul Center on Southside Boulevard in Jacksonville at 2032 Southside Boulevard. Parking's free, admission's free. I mean, who doesn't want shish kebab, baklava, and Turkish coffee? Amazing. Gyros are probably pronouncing it wrong. I say gyro the oh, American way, uh, but amazing food. So come on out this Saturday and uh, enjoy, and you'll be doing your bit to help because so many people have been asking, how can I help? Well, this is an easy way. Uh, volunteers here this morning to tell us more. Thank you both. Aliyah Karakoyan and Bengisu Bektas, both with the Istanbul Center. Again, that festival is Saturday. Have fun. Hope you raise a ton of money. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you you both. We hope to see you there. Well, the Florida Theater, in partnership with our own WJCT Public Media, is proud to present Untold Stories. It's a new radio program that will also be published as a podcast on all of our major platforms. Episodes will air at 7 p.m. on Sunday nights beginning this month on 89.9 FM. Now, Untold Stories is a project of the Florida Theater honoring the tradition of oral storytelling in a modern context. Untold Stories live events showcase six local storytellers in quarterly thematic story evenings. Here with more, Numa Saisalan, Florida Theater President. Hey. Good morning. Great to be here. Good to see you. And Barbara Colicello, Florida Theater Artistic Director. Hi. Hey, good to have you both. I think she just gave Barbara a promotion. Oh, did I? <laughs> What's your, I'm, I, okay, I, I, I don't even know what I did wrong there, but I'll find out in a minute. <laughs> Barbara is the Artistic Director of Untold Stories. Oh. I see. Okay, so Numa, let's start with you. Tell us about uh, how uh, this is going to work. I'm really excited that we're being we're able to bring this live production to the radio airwaves. Uh, at so uh, Untold Stories is now in its second season, uh, live on stage at the Florida Theater, and somewhere in the past twelve months, uh, uh, the two Davids, David Luckin and David McGowan, uh, reached out and said, "Is there something we could do here?" Uh, we had the foresight to record all of these performances. Um, we didn't really know what we would eventually do with it, uh, but we had the idea, let's record them. So we've been recording them since the very first performance, and we had the recordings, and I said, well, Davids, uh, <laughs> we happen to have recorded these. Let me just give you the recordings, and you tell me what you think will work. And this is what they thought worked. This is probably not unlike the Moth radio hour that people love to listen to on our airwaves, Barbara. But Untold Stories has its own unique approach. And you've created this series. Tell us more about it. Well, um, we have a a, a process where the storytellers will have an idea of a story, but it's not completely developed. And, And they go off and do that, but at the same time, they run stuff by me and I ask a lot of questions and and we just start to discover things that they hadn't thought of so mm-hmm. it's kind of surprising by the end when they look back of what they ended up with uh, and the other thing is that the stories connect to Jacksonville mm-hmm. so it's not just the theme but how does it connect to a place a person a moment 
Uh, and I, I think people in the audience love when someone's saying my car broke down, you know, on University Boulevard and Beach. People know, oh, you don't want to break down there. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's called untold stories. Are these stories that the people you're featuring on stage have never shared before? In a lot of cases, yes. And I think it's important to stress that it's not a story slam, so it's not a contest. Barbara has curated a series uh, and worked with each of the storytellers to craft uh, a show uh, in capital letters. So it the people on stage have really workshopped their stories, and it's not some off-the-cuff evening. They work very hard. and They do. And, and mm-hmm. the point for me is that they find their authentic voice. So there's a mix of people that are professional and have a, a lot of experience on stage, but I think it's important for... Somebody who maybe is an artist who crafts a story that expresses, you know, their journey that they have opportunity. Right. I it's not I, it's not slick. Mm. Right. And, and I, I think the audience really, really appreciates this. Like they invited me mm-hmm. into their home to tell me and tell me the story. And people appreciate the challenge. And these are genuine, too. They're not They're, overly yeah. produced. Now, Untold Stories Ebbs and Flows was the first event of its kind in Jacksonville. Then you had Untold Stories Out of the Swamp with a whole new slate of people. Uh, Winds of Change is the next theme. So each each time you do this, there's a different theme. Yeah, and that helps... It helps the st- what their story is go through that sieve. So that's why they suddenly look at events in their life differently because of, mm-hmm. of that one structure. And, and that's where the discovery process is. Now, Winds of Change, which is coming up uh, Thursday, March 30th at the Florida Theater, features two of our regular contributors, Nikisha Williams and Catalina Selvain, who's going to be on in a few minutes. Uh, so... Uh, that's coming up on the live stage, right? And yes. then we'll also later hear it on the radio and in podcasts. I, I think yes. Uh, the The first two podcasts uh, that are, will be that are on the platforms as of this morning, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and that are airing on JCT Sunday nights at seven o'clock are drawn from the first two performances. Is my understanding, uh, but we have the next six shows already in the can, so yeah. there will hopefully be more. That's great. Yes. And how does this fit in with uh, everything the Florida Theater does to showcase all manner of live performances? Uh, Everybody knows the Florida Theater is a great place to see a show, especially national touring acts. But it's a big building and it's an expensive building to open. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we don't have many opportunities to work with local talent. Uh, I don't really like that phrase, but local performers. And this is a way for us to work in the local community and give uh, people from all walks of life a shot at being on that stage and connecting with an audience. How do you pick the people, Barbara? It's (laughs) that's also a process. Sometimes it's just magical. Uh, I I turn around and Greens, who's on the next stage, he's 19 years old. I literally turned around. I was at Wolf and Cup and I saw his face and he's like, hi, Miss Barbara. And I remembered um, I had met him um, at a poetry uh, event and I just gave him the theme. I said, hey, what do you think of when I say winds of change? And he just went into this whole thing. We took a walk. And I was like, do you want to do this? <laughs> so it's just, I, I, I'm very spontaneous. I see. I think of the Scorpion song and the Berlin Wall <laughs> coming down, which uh, dates me to everyone as an 80s girl. Uh, but it's a bigger theme than that, of course. And, and Nikisha, for instance, I've worked with, she did a one-woman show in my space. Um, and she has a great voice. And for her to do a personal story is a different challenge. Um, you know, some people are always on the air or, you know, we know them as an activist and, and suddenly we hear their personal story and you understand why they do the work they do. Mm-hmm. And live oral storytelling is an ancient tradition. Absolutely. You're trying to modernize it. Why do you think it's so central to the human it's condition? How, uh, it's how our history does get passed down. There's nothing like in a room with eye contact. You can hear the person's breath. You feel their passion, their fear. It's, 
it's once we started putting words on page, a page, you know, you really have to learn how to lift up those words to recreate that experience. But live, uh, it's magical. Yeah. So people do need to come out for the live show on March 30th. But, you know, Numa, the acoustics at the Florida Theater are really good. So these radio shows and podcasts are going to sound really good, too. Yes. Uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing it on the air. Um, have you heard any of it yet? I have not heard any yeah. of it yet, so I'll be listening <laughs> really? for the first time. We're excited. The storytellers are very excited. I don't even know who's on the broadcast, so I'm excited. Okay, it says here <clears throat> from the press release, the March 5th and March 12th programs will be adapted from the Ebbs and Flows event dating from November 27th, 2021. So if you listen Sunday at 7 o'clock this Sunday on 89.9 FM, you will hear some of the performers from that initial event. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know who those will be because well, I didn't edit it, but uh, it and might if, be a surprise. If you like what you hear, the next live performance is March 30. That's right. Right. And I would think because these are all local performers, all their family and friends are coming to cheer them on. And It is super fun when that happens. Uh, people do bring family and colleagues and uh, you can tell where they're sitting when the person but walks on stage. Uh-huh. We've developed a group of people that come. They don't need to know anybody <laughs> but I, on and stage. There's, and there's now a core that come to each performance. Right. I, mean, I see people again and again uh, who are just coming because they've fallen in love with the performance of the theme. Yeah, we get, we've got an amazing response. And Barbara's done great work. That's Thank so you. great. Uh, congratulations. I'm so excited to hear that. So, folks... Get your tickets now for Untold Stories, Winds of Change, coming up Thursday, March 30th at the Florida Theater. Tickets at floridatheater.com. It'll feature two of our regular contributors, Nikisha Williams and Catalina Salvain, who's coming up here in a few minutes on the show. And then listen Sunday nights at 7 o'clock on 89.9 to Untold Stories, live radio, and it will also be podcasted. So you can search for it at your favorite podcast app. So thank you both so much, Numa Say Celine, Florida Theater President, and Barbara Colicello, Artistic Director of Untold Stories. Congratulations. And thank you. we're happy to partner with you on this. Thanks. Thank you. Now, as I mentioned, Catalina will be on the stage for Untold Stories on March 30th at the Florida Theater. And She's coming up next to tell us about Create Jax's curated list of things to do in the next few weeks all across the 904. So keep listening for that. Jacksonville Science Festival returns Thursday through Saturday, March 2nd through 4th at FSCJ South Campus and Seawalk Pavilion, featuring live science experiments, art projects, food trucks, and a rock climbing wall. Open to the public. More at jackscifest.org. Baptist Health is a proud supporter of First Coast Connect with Melissa Ross. Baptist Health, committed to building a healthier community for all of us. More info at 202-4-Y-O-U or baptistjacks.com. Migrant camps in Spain's farming region are home for workers from North Africa. The housing is makeshift and flimsy. At least one camp has been plowed under by authorities. Why this particular shantytown and not another one? This activist is suspicious. Because it's very close to the road that goes to the tourist area where the beach is. Spain's migrant farm workers out of sight, out of mind, on the world. This afternoon at 3, here on WJCT News 89.9. There's a spring 
I'm Peter O'Dowd. Public Radio's Mountain Stage is celebrating 40 years of live performances with some of the biggest names in music. Hard to believe, according to the show's first host. We had no money, we had no experience, and we had no equipment, so we thought, well, we're ready to go. That's next time on Here and Now. Today at 2 on WJCT News 89.9. Should America's farmers use their land to feed the country or supply power to it? What if they could do both? You get a very similar harvest without losing all that acreage. Others remain solar skeptical. Do I have an issue with that? Kind of. We're in California's San Joaquin Valley to find out more. That's next time on 1A. Today, starting at 10 on WJCT News 89.9. Welcome back. From the Gate River Run to Vive Wellness Festival to Bad Bunny's Birthday Bash, lots happening around town. Create Jacks always has a curated list of the best events and places to check out. Catalina Selvain is here to share it with us. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Good to see you. Always happy to see you, Melissa. Now, you're going to be on stage March 30th at the Untold Stories show at the Florida Theater. So I just wanted to mention that one more time. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you for for bringing my nerves back up. I (laughs) just calmed them for a little bit. But yeah, I'm I'm excited. It's going to be really, really great to get this specific story off my chest finally. You'll do great. And our contributor, Nikisha Williams, is also on that lineup. So check that out, everyone. But uh, that's not coming up till the end of the month. And you've got to create Jack's list of things to do this weekend. What's happening? Ooh, a lot happening this weekend. And it's one of those where you're like, well, I guess I'll try to make it to all of them. <laughs> but good luck if you can. Uh-huh. Uh, so Friday night, there's a really cool exhibit opening at the Crisp Ellert Art Museum. Um, New York-based visual artist and filmmaker Sasha Wurzel is uh, opening the Dreams of Unknown Islands, St. Augustine. This is an immersive installation that brings together sound and projected film. And it's really cool because it's a love letter to the ecological dreamscape of Florida because mm. Sasha was born and raised here. So it's nice. going to be really cool to see the beauty of it all through another artist's eyes. So that's Friday night at 5 o'clock. It's free and open to the public. The Crisp Alert is in St. Augustine, in historic St. Augustine. Beautiful museum. Okay. The Kate River Run is this weekend. I forgot all about that. It, I did not. <laughs> I, did, I didn't sign up to run, but, you, I mean, you can't escape it. This is the biggest, one of the biggest events in the city. It started in 1978, and now it's the now largest 15K in the country. So if you've never heard of the Gate River Run, somehow this is where runners get to wind through downtown, over the Main Street Bridge, all through San Marco and San Nicolas before climbing the monstrosity that is the Heart Bridge. They call it the Green Monster, don't they? <laughs> they sure do. But it's it's really impressive. If you can get through the 15K, you get my respect, 1,000%. And, you know, all through the race route, you see people cheering the runners on, handing them water, while they themselves drink mimosas. That's right. That's right. People get really into it. Yeah, that's the best part is, you know, if you're not into running, you can absolutely set up a cheering section along the race route and just have fun cheering on the runners. Cheer them on this Saturday. The Gate River Run kicks off bright and early Saturday morning. Now, also Saturday, downtown at James Weldon Johnson Park, it's Vive Wellness Festival. Yes. So this is one of my favorite, favorite events. So this is in James Weldon Johnson Park, free to the community. It No money to come. And enjoy a day full of connecting with your body and the community because this event is put on by Viva Yoga Studio, which focuses on making wellness and healing accessible for people of color. But it's open to everyone. Nice. So this will have Zumba classes, guided meditation in Espanol, which I love, uh, yoga sessions. But then at the end, it's the day ends with a drum circle and ecstatic dance. Do you know what that is, Melissa? I know you're going to tell me. Uh, Yeah, it's where you just get to dance however it makes your body feel good. The Elaine dance, in other words. (laughs) That's That would be me. That's pretty close to what you see sometimes. But it's like you don't really necessarily need rhythm. You just are able to express whatever energy is in your body. Interpretive dance. Pretty much. It's a lot of fun. I mean, kids are welcome to come, too. They've got the play area at the park. It's great. <laughs> nice. Okay, so that's Saturday kicking off 11 a.m. downtown in the park, Vive Wellness Festival. Then also Saturday and Sunday, head over to the Clay County Fairgrounds. Ooh, for the Strawberry, the Strawberry Festival. Festival. Think of any family-friendly activity, and it's most likely happening at the Strawberry Festival. They've got, of course, arts and crafts, bounce houses, free rock painting. 
never done that before. Mm. But they've got pony rides, too, and a very cute baby contest. And then all the food, all the strawberry-themed food you could think of, you know, organic strawberries, Plant City strawberries, strawberry wine slushies, a little bit of everything for everyone. And admission's only $6 for adults. Kids two and under get in free. But if you bring a canned good, um, you get a discount, and that benefits the food pantry of Green Cove Springs. Excellent. Then moving ahead to next Friday night, March 10th at Underbelly, it's the Bad Bunny Birthday Bash. Ooh, yes, it is. And I am so stoked for this one. So from the the partiers who brought you Noche de Verano, Cinti, this is celebrating the man who brought us a, a movement from his 2020 album, Yo Hago Lo Que Me Da La Gana, which is I Do What I Want. And we just get to party to Bad Bunny music all night. DJ Jandro is playing his hits all night long, so prepare to sweat. But get your tickets early. It's $15 early, $20 a week of the show, or $25 at the door. That's next Friday night. At Underbelly. At Underbelly. For the full list, go to createjacks.com slash this week. That's createjacks with the number eight. Catalina Selvain and Create Jacks always say, only the boring get bored. So have fun, everyone. Whatever you choose to do. Have fun at the at storytelling event and everything else <laughs> you're everything doing. everything else I'll be at this weekend. That's right. <laughs> We'll close with some Bad Bunny. And thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks also to David Luckin, Heather Schatz, Brendan Rivers, Brady Corum, Michelle Corum, and all of you. Drop us a line anytime at firstcoastconnect at wjct.org. I'm Melissa Ross. We'll be back at 9 a.m. tomorrow. In the meantime, make it a great day. Bien suelta, yo de safari, tú me ves lo fenomenal, pa' yo devorarte como animal. Si no te ofendes, yo te voy a esperar. En mi camino lo voy a celebrar. Baby, a ti no me pongo, y siempre te lo pongo. Y si tú me tiras, vamos a nadar el hondo. Si por mí te lo pongo, de septiembre hasta agosto. A mí sin lo que digan tu amiga, ya yo me enteré. Support for First Coast Connect is provided by Baptist Health and the North Florida TPO.